0: Sarah Elizabeth Dill is currently a partner
1: at Gribowski Jolly Carraway and the former director of criminal justice standards and policy for the American Bar Association of Washington, D.C. She has spent her career overseeing the development and revision of the standards for domestic and international criminal justice systems, formulating policy, legislation advocacy, and filing amicus briefs with the United States Supreme Court. Leaders Nest founder Heather Louise Finch sat down with Sara to discuss the current status of the United States of America and Mexico's border. She's been at the border assisting with the coordination of volunteers to provide aid and support to the immigrant, and particularly the families who are being divided by ICE.
0: Okay, my name is Heather Louise Finch, and I'm the founder of Leaders Nest, and I'm here today with one of my dear friends, Mm -hmm. Sarah Dill. Would you please introduce yourself? I'm Sarah Elizabeth
1: Dill. I'm a partner at GJCC here in Washington, D.C., and I'm a human rights lawyer.
0: So Sarah, looking at the sheet of paper uh, you just gave me, could you please tell me more about what this is, the Separated Parents Removal Form? Definitely,
1: so we got this last night. Uh, We've been hearing rumors that many of the parents who were in detention, in the immigration detention centers along the border were being asked to sign forms that would allow them to get their children back, what they weren't understanding was that these forms were them agreeing to be deported. And uh, the form does not, in fact, advise them as to any of their other rights, their rights to seek asylum, their rights to seek humanitarian parole, or anything else that they are authorized to do under international and domestic law. Uh, It's simply being presented to them as this is how you can get your children back. Are they in Spanish? What's interesting about the form is that it's primarily in English. There are a few lines where it asks the person's name, their country of nationality, their children's names. ICE went about translating those portions into Spanish. But the sections that are specifically what the parent is agreeing to are completely in English. Uh, The sections where it explains what the form is is completely in English. And so it's not an issue that ICE isn't able to translate into Spanish. They just selectively chose what they would translate and what they would not, which then means that whatever is being translated to the parents is coming from the ICE officers.
0: So what does it mean when they sign this document?
1: Many of them, we think, will probably they don't know uh, what they're signing. Our goal, we're heading back to the border tomorrow. We're trying to talk to a number of the parents today by telephone to find out what ICE is telling them, what they understand. Uh, many of them have lawyers already uh, from the volunteer lawyers that have stepped up yet they're not being allowed a telephone call to call their lawyer to say this is the form that I'm getting Uh, I was fortunate last night uh, that there was one lawyer from the Southern Poverty Law Center who was notified about this and their client uh, had the knowledge to say no I want to talk to my lawyer first and so we were finally able to get a copy of this form and understand what is going on
0: Could you tell me more about what their rights are, the immigrants' right, in comparison, like when they, excuse me, when Mm -hmm. they first come into the country?
1: Certainly, so under the Refugee Convention and under the U.S.'s own immigration laws, uh, when a person arrives in the United States, uh, and it doesn't have to be at a designated port of entry, as we've heard a lot in the news from DHS, uh, they can cross in anywhere, they have the right to seek asylum. And that process, the first step is what's called a credible fear interview where the individual goes before an immigration officer and explains what happened in their home country, the torture, the persecution, the sexual assaults, the murders of family members, whatever occurred. And if the asylum officer finds that the person does have a credible fear, uh, and they don't need to have any documentary evidence or anything like that at this point, then the person's eligible for humanitarian parole or release on bond so that they're not kept in detention. There's no mandatory detention of asylum seekers. And from that point, they can then apply for asylum. And that involves a lengthier process, getting documents and evidence. And so what's happening right now is that many of these individuals are at the point where they're going to have their credible fear interviews, or they have. And what the lawyers on the ground are experiencing is that these parents are so traumatized because they've been without their children for a month, six weeks without phone calls, without contact, without knowing when they're gonna see them again, that they're not even able to articulate the sufficient facts to pass a credible fear interview.
0: Could you tell me what what have been some of the stories with the separation part? Like how are they separating the children from the parents?
1: So most of the stories that we heard um, were parents who traveled, often two weeks, walking from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and so going on this extremely dangerous journey arriving in the united states about the first week to about june 15th was the time frame that we were working with their children were taken from them immediately Uh, they were not told where the children were being taken they were not even given a slip of paper Uh, when you get arrested in the criminal system and they take your wallet and your cell phone and your other things you get a piece of paper that says on this date you were arrested you were taken into custody And the government took all of these items from you. Yet, here we are talking about children. And these parents weren't even given a slip of paper with their child's name on it, saying, this is the officer who took your child on this date at this location, and this is where they're transferring them to.
0: They didn't receive?
1: Nothing. They didn't get anything. And immigration has a process where they assign everyone an alien number. Um, so these children at least would have had an identifying number that they could have given the parents. They take photographs. They could have evenly taken photographs of the parent and the child together to show they came in together. Uh, there's a number of things that they could have done that they simply didn't do. And then they wouldn't even give the parents information about this is where your child is going. And the problem that comes up is that while the parents are able to say this is my child's name, this is their date of birth, this is the country I'm from, Probably 80% of the parents that I spoke to had children under the age of six who were taken from them and When you think about all of us have had nieces nephews children a Two-year-old is not going to be able to give their parents names a two-year-old is not going to be able to say I'm from Honduras Uh, and these children have been so traumatized and Mm -hmm. so The ability of a social worker or someone from the Office of Refugee Resettlement to be able to ask a child, what is your parent's name, to try to
0: reunite them. It's virtually impossible. I'm sorry, I'm just taken back because I was actually having a conversation with um, somebody the other day. I remember getting lost. My mom Mm -hmm. accidentally left me in the store one time when I was six years old. I, I, to this day, cannot go into Mm -hmm. that store because I have a sense of fear of abandonment. that was being left in a store. Mm-hmm. Not my mom or dad, being ta- me being removed from them. Mm-hmm. The psychological trauma that I fear for these kids as adults, or as they get older, that's, that is so upsetting. So going back to the children um, and the trauma that they're experiencing, mm-hmm. one thing also, if you look back in history, um, especially from the 80s, early 90s, and even the 2000s, mm-hmm. um, The problem is when you go into an area, and I know you can speak much more on this than (laughs) I can, and you disrupt it, and you have children, and they don't, they grow up one day, and they've oftentimes, what we found out, become members of Al-Qaeda or ISIS and such, but all they remember is being removed and separated from their homes and their Mm -hmm. parents, and no one was there to go back and educate them on why and what happened. Uh, Could you elaborate on that? And. Mm -hmm.
1: It's, I mean, it's been a problem for the last couple of years with immigration. Uh, victims of crime don't want to report crimes being committed. And so you have groups specifically targeting immigrant populations, because they know they're not going to report to the police, because they have the fear of being turned over to ICE and being deported. And what we're going to see with this is you have you know, ICE officers. They look like police officers. They're in similar uniforms. They have guns. They have badges. They have bulletproof vests. They have police dogs. And so these children are going to associate being taken from their parents with police officers, essentially, uh, law enforcement officers, and, but also that this is what the U.S. government has done to them. And so it really is going to take, not just from the mental health perspective, but also in, and I don't know if there's any way to explain it, other than that it was a policy of our government at this particular time Uh, similar as to when we put the Japanese into the concentration camps, and that it wasn't the will of the people. Uh, It was a decision that was made by a relatively small number of people, and that hopefully at that time the message will be, you know, by showing all of the press interviews and things that are out there and things like this, that there were a lot of people who cared and that there were a lot of people trying to help Uh, You know, we're getting reports of people raising money to pay parents bonds, to help pay parents travel tickets so that they can go reunite with their children. You have people offering to foster kids and help find the parents to ensure that these kids don't go into, you know, horrific foster homes, or there's a story of the child who was actually put up for adoption before the mother even had the chance to fight for him. And so the long-term impacts of this, it's going to be decades and decades to come that we're going to be dealing with it.
0: Mm. How many children, do you know off the top of your head, how many children are even being held?
1: We don't know. We've heard conflicting stories. Um, There are obviously families coming over uh, every day. Um, The initial number we heard was around Mm -hmm. 2,500. I question the accuracy of that number simply because the team that I went down with initially worked in just one detention center, and in that one facility, even in the small number of people that we were able to interview in a very short time, that probably told us of anywhere from 100 to 200 children. And so the thought that there would only be 1,800 or 2,000 more than what we encountered in a short time at one facility, I really can't believe that. And Mm. so, and the fact that the administration is planning camps on military bases that hold 15 to 20,000 people on each and they're planning four or five of these facilities to open in the next two months, that tells me that there are many more people in detention than they're letting on
0: about. Hmm. How long has this been going on? Is it just started or past three or four years? So, I mean, we've always had, you know, because we
1: are a party to the Refugee Convention, uh, because we have laws that allow for asylum seekers and refugees, uh, we are a place where people can come. And flee violence and flee persecution. What's changed has been the policy of detaining families. Uh, you know, even as recent as four years ago, I represented a woman and her daughter who fled Honduras, fled horrific domestic violence, sexual assaults. Uh, the the woman's husband actually took um, you know a semi-automatic rifle and shot up the house, trying to kill them, and they had to flee. And When they came in, they were taken to a hotel for the first night to keep the mother and daughter together, and then taken to a family shelter, and then had their credible fear interview. I was able to assist them in that process, and they got released. Um, That was how it worked for a number of years. When we had a flood of unaccompanied minors, children who were making the journey by themselves, uh, either to reunite with family members or because the, it was just too dangerous for them, and the parents were doing everything they could to help their kids get to a safer place. Uh, there were children who were kept in detention, but it was seen as a very short term to just because we had thousands of children coming across the border in a very short time. And one of the things we did then was that there were a number of volunteer lawyers who responded to the courts and we would represent the children, we would find their family members, their aunts, their uncles, whoever it was, so that we could get the children released as quickly as possible. And all of that has changed in under the new policies of the current administration. Uh, they're separating the parents and children immediately instead of trying to keep them together, and they're detaining children for much longer. They're also not releasing the children. Uh, it used to be that even if someone didn't have status, if they didn't have residency or TPS or some other lawful status in the US they would still release the children as long as it was a family member the parent would consent. Uh, Now unless you have lawful status they're not releasing the children. Mm. And so you could have a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle willing to take these children in but because they're undocumented these children are
0: sitting in jail instead. What can we do as a society? Government, what can we do? (laughs) Uh,
1: The most realistic things that we can do today, tomorrow, over the next weeks uh, supporting the efforts, uh, supporting the funds that are being set up to help the families to get the children uh, out of custody, foster care, basic living supplies, uh, supporting the efforts of the lawyers. I mean, there was a flood uh, of money that came in to help get lawyers down there because that's the other problem with this is that you have A detention center, I mean, even to get to the detention center in Port Isabel, where we worked, where we're returning to tomorrow, you have to fly into Dallas and then take a tiny little flight that they only have two flights per day into Brownsville or Harlingen. And these flights are very expensive to start with. And from there, you still have to drive 30 or 45 minutes. The Port Isabel Detention Center is very remote, and there simply aren't the lawyers down there to help. And so it really does take mobilizing an army of lawyers to go. And the other detention centers, it's the same thing. Uh, It's been kind of a government policy to put these things in remote locations that are hard to get to. Um, It makes people feel desperate and isolated and give up on their cases. And it also interferes with the ability of lawyers to help, which they see as kind of impeding a lawful process. Um, But the other issue is really the awareness. Keeping it in the news, keeping people talking about it, not letting this succumb to the fifteen-minute news cycle, and keeping the pressure. Um, members of Congress have been very active on this, uh, demanding transparency and uh, really engaging. You know, the protests, the demonstrations—that's great to show that they support this. But it goes beyond that. You know, calling your elected officials to say, "You know, I voted for you." I don't like the fact that you're putting babies in jail. And just really keeping up that kind of pressure uh, to convince Congress to do something about it, as well as the administration itself. It really, um, it doesn't take an act of Congress to fix this problem.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time and for all that you're doing. Of course, thank Thank you. you.